world. So we would get an army of young people who had just come out of college who were going to go to colleges and go to the military and go to high schools and go around the world in, in missions, etc. And we would be revolutionaries for Jesus Christ. Instead of sharing the message of communism, we would be sharing the message that by faith in Jesus, people have everlasting life, and that that life was a life that could be significant, that it could be meaningful, that it could indeed change people. Of course, it changes them from a dead person, one who is spiritually dead, to one who is spiritually alive. changes a person from someone who is on their way to an eternity in the lake of fire to a person who will spend eternity on the new earth with glorified bodies serving Jesus Christ, but also a person who can rule with Christ in the life to come, a person who can lay up much treasure in the life to come. And so what we find is we can be people who have lives of meaning and significance. Well, one thing I think we need to understand is that what our purpose in life should not be, and let's go to the next slide on that, and that is that a lousy life's purpose for a Christian is trying to avoid hell. Now, this billboard here, avoid hell, repent, trust Jesus today, there's, there's a number of confusing things about the billboard for one thing. We don't get eternal life by repenting, if by that we mean turning from sins. We get it by believing in Jesus for eternal life. Um, but the point is, once we believe in Jesus, what do we get? Everlasting life. And how long does everlasting life last? Well, it's a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Neil's got the gift. He's got He's got it. It lasts a long time. Exactly. It lasts forever. That's why it's called eternal or everlasting life. I was talking to my 93-year-old mother about this the other day because we had a, I met with a little think tank. We were talking about these issues the other day, and my mother said, so you're saying a person believes in Jesus and they've got everlasting life? She said, what if they don't want it? What if later on they don't want it? You know, what if later on they decide, I don't want that? I told my mom, too bad, because <laughs> what they've got is everlasting life. And uh, if later on they don't want it, they're stuck with it. No, but we'll all be joyful with the fact that we have everlasting life. But the point is, so many people are in church today around the world, are they not? Because they're trying to make sure they can go to heaven, right? Isn't there purpose in life to go to heaven? I, I heard of a... Uh, a man who taught his kids. That's what he was teaching his kids. He'd say, look, I, I want to I be with you in heaven. And he would tell them to hang in there and persevere so that they'll make it. So many people in life think, look, the Bible is given to us so that we know what God's commandments are so that we can keep his commandments and make it into the kingdom of God. That is such a tragic misreading of the Bible. God hasn't given his commandments so that we can somehow keep them and earn entrance into his kingdom. He's given his commandments so that we will please him. But in order to have everlasting life, we need to believe in the Messiah Savior who died on the cross and removed the sin barrier so that simply by faith in him we have everlasting life. Now, it's true we're commanded to believe in Jesus, 
But all of the commandments we find in Scripture, other than that, are not designed to give us everlasting life. They're designed that we would please God by keeping His commandments. But in order to please God and keep His commandments, we first have to have God's life. Now we have the potential to live a life that's pleasing to Him. So a wrong purpose in life is to make it to heaven. Unless, of course, by that the person is thinking, I don't even know what you need to do yet. Well, then believe in Jesus, get eternal life, and that purpose is done. Because <laughs> once you believe in Jesus, you've got everlasting life. And you're secure forever. It's much better than social security. Uh, those of you who are under 60 um, know that we'll never get any. <laughs> social security, that is. But eternal security... That's guaranteed by God himself, and that is something which cannot be lost. Okay, let's move to the next slide. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. If you look at your Bibles, the context which has preceded 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 8 deals with our glorified bodies we're looking forward to. Do you know that many people in life are hoping for immortality in this life? Well, that's not so bad unless you get these bodies. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about your body that's not wrong with mine. Uh, the problem with these bodies is even if they could keep transplanting organs and even if they could get it to where I could live forever in this fouled up body, I'm going to have pain and suffering for eternity in this body, am I not? The older I get, the more things hurt. The more doctor friends I make. You know, the more pills I take. Um, last night I ate with my 93-year-old mother at uh, the assisted living place she lives at. There was a 94-year-old, almost 95-year-old man sitting across the table, and he was taking six pills. You know, they bring you your pills and... He's like, six? I thought I was taking five. She said, yeah, well, now you're up to six at that meal. My mother gives, you know, they give her pills four times a day. The older you get, the more stuff you've got. Well, look, in the verses that precede, he says in verse 1, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made in the, with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, we don't get that when we die. We get that when the rapture occurs. And the point is, we're groaning, verse 2, and we're groaning, verse 4, to put on this glorified body. Wouldn't it be cool to have a body that never hurt again? I mean, when I get this glorified body, I'm taking up hang gliding, I'm taking up motorcycle riding. Arch is going to have a hard time keeping up with me when I get the glorified body. But right now, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Because if my leg comes off, I have to go around with no leg for the rest of this life. I don't want to lose a leg, right? I know I have everlasting life, but I do have pain. <laughs> and I've got enough. I don't need to add to it. But when I get the glorified body, that's what we're groaning for. That's what we're longing for. Another reason we groan for it and long for it is not only is it pain-free, but it's sin-free. No longer will I have to deal with the conflict of the old man and the new man. This conflict of I want to serve God, I want to please God perfectly, but yet I'm not perfect. Well, in the glorified body, I will be and you will be perfect. That is something to look forward to. 
And he says in verse 6, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That is, we're not in the presence of the Lord right now. We're on this earthly experience. We are confident, yet well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. In other words, we're well-pleased for the rapture to occur. We're well-pleased to gain our glorified bodies today, right? And now he pivots on this word well-pleased and picks up in verse 9 our purpose in life. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether we are present or absent, whether we're in this body or with the Lord, to be well-pleasing to him. We're well-pleased to be with him, but in the meantime, our aim is to be well-pleasing to him. You see, our aim in life is not to please the crowd, is it? Our aim in life is not to please the people who are around us. Now, it's nice if they're pleased with us. It's nice if our boss is pleased with us. It's nice if our parents are pleased with us or our brothers or our sisters. But if we're pleasing God and other people are not pleased, that's the best, right? Now, if God is pleased and those around us are pleased, that's great. That's great. But if there's ever a conflict... We choose pleasing God over pleasing men. Because if we are men-pleasers, then we are not God-pleasers. Our aim in life is to be well-pleasing to Him. And this is a powerful idea of being a person who is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are accountable. Let's go to the next slide. Aiming to please Jesus is a great life's purpose in light of the Bema. Notice verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Greek, the words judgment seat, those two words are from one Greek word, bema. And the word bema is a place where judgment takes place. For example, Jesus appeared before the bema of Pilate. Paul appeared before the bema of Gallio. Paul appealed to Caesar and appeared before the bema of Caesar. The Bema was a place in which a person was judged. And one day in the future, every single born-again person will appear before Jesus Christ at his Bema. Notice, we all must appear. You don't get a choice in this. You don't say, look, I'm delighted with everlasting life, but I'm not concerned about the abundant part of it. You know, I don't care if I rule with Christ. I don't care if I have treasure in heaven. I'll just skip the Bema. (laughs) No, (laughs) you won't skip the Bema. Because Jesus is in charge, and Jesus tells us we're all going to appear before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And he tells us this through his apostle, the apostle Paul. Of course, the Lord Jesus taught on this as well. We don't have time to go into it, but look at Luke 19, 11 through 27. And many other similar passages where Jesus taught that there's a day of accountability when we will appear before him and he will evaluate what we did in this life. And notice what we find here. He says that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is referring to believers. We all refers to believers. And unbelievers have a separate judgment called the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. They will be judged according to their works as well. They're judged to determine their degree of suffering in the lake of fire. 
We are judged to, de to determine the degree of our abundance of life and how much we will serve Christ in the life to come. We've been made to glorify Him. And the more we glorify Him in this life, the more we'll be able to glorify Him in the life to come. And that in turn will bring us more joy because that's what we're made to do, is to glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so heightened opportunity for service is a wonderful life's purpose, is it not? In other words, we need to realize this life is passing away. There's a day coming when this heaven and this earth and this universe will be done away with, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, Revelation 21, 1 through 3. And when we get the new heavens and the new earth, our glorified bodies will be united with a planet suitable for those bodies. Just as Adam and Eve were created for a planet better than this and lived on a planet better than this prior to the fall, and then they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and the ground was cursed, and the woman was cursed in childbirth, and the man was cursed in that when he would work, he would be working by the sweat of his brow. None of that was originally intended. All of that is reversed when we get the new earth. Read Revelation 21, 1 through 4. It's all reversed. And what we find is the flood made the world much worse when Noah's flood came. Much, much worse. What we live in now doesn't hold a candle to what eternity is going to be like on the new earth with glorified bodies. And by the way, don't think somehow we're going to be some kind of glowing light bulb in eternity. You're going to have a body, and it's going to be a glorified body, one free of handicaps, free of limitations, other than the normal limitations that God has built into our planet. I still don't think I'm going to be able to dunk, or at least not unless I get better hops on the new earth. But... Um, you know, and, and I'll probably never break 80 at golf either. Now, verse 11, uh, verse 10, by the way, says, by the way, we're going to receive what we've done according to what we've done in the body. In other words, this body, this decaying body, is the vehicle that contains, it's the tent that contains everlasting life. And if we live a life that's well-pleasing to him, then we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to enter into the joy of his kingdom. We're going to rule with him. If not, we'll still get into the kingdom, but we're not going to have the fullness of joy we could have had, and we're not going to have as much opportunity to serve. All will serve him, Revelation 22, 5. But how much we serve depends on what we do with what God has given us in this life. And notice, by the way, it says whether good or bad. The Greek word for bad there means bad. That's why it's translated bad. And so this judgment is a comprehensive judgment of our lives from the moment we believe in Jesus till the moment of death or the rapture. And that should have a sobering effect on us, don't you think? And in fact, hello, guess what the very next words Paul talks about? Therefore knowing the terror of the Lord. Now actually this word translated in the New King James terror is not... Uh, the word for terror, it's really the word for fear. It's the Greek word phobos. We get all the phobia words, which I have many of those. Do you? You know, I, In fact, the movie, What About Bob? That was made about me. I, whenever I leave a bathroom, I've got to have four paper towels to get the uh, handle. And so it's good you've got a trash can right by the door so I can throw it in there. But, you know, and I have the, the goldfish and all that. But anyhow, uh, let's go to the next slide. The reason for judgment, 
is to receive recompense for what we did, whether good or bad. And if we have done well in this life, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and we'll be smiling when we come out of the Bema. Let's go to the next slide. Christians are accountable. Ready or not, here I come, says Jesus. Right? Ready or not, he's coming. Well, let's be ready. Let's live each day in light of his return. This judgment is not optional. Knowing about the Bema reminds us that pleasing him is good for us now and it's good forever. Next slide. Now, I don't know who these guys are, but they look afraid to me. Um, Bema-related fear of the Lord should lead us to seek to persuade others to please Jesus. Notice, knowing therefore the fear or the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What are we persuading men about? In this context, we're persuading men that we need to be well-pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ because we will appear at his Bema. Now, of course, it presupposes that we evangelize the lost. But this passage is primarily about persuading the saved. That's what I'm here to do today. I'm here to persuade you that I have a godly fear of the Bema. I know there's no guarantee that I will persevere in faithfulness in this life. But my aim in life is to be well-pleasing to him. My aim in life is to have him approve of me. That's the Awana verse. You know, approved workmen are not ashamed. It's the Greek word dakimos. It means approved. My dad died in 89, and he was an active alcoholic, and he never really approved of me, and that left a hole in my heart. But I finally realized the ultimate approval I want is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my aim in life, and I hope that's your aim in life, and that's what I'm here to persuade you about, is that we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ if you have everlasting life. Just like you can't lose everlasting life, you can't skip the Bema. You'll be there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And you'll want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll want his approval. We'll live now in light of that day and you'll have it because the Spirit of God lives within every believer. And if we live by faith, we will live an overcoming life, a Nike life, a a, a victorious, conquering life. And it doesn't mean that we don't have problems and difficulties and we don't have struggles, but what it means is that our life is pleasing to him. As we confess our sins and walk in the light as he is in the light, then we live a life that is pleasing to him. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. That's one thing that's basic. We all know that we're not hiding from Jesus. He knows us very well indeed. And I also trust that we are well known in your consciences. Paul is saying, look, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying here because you know this is truly what Paul's motivation was in life, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. You have a staff and elders here at this church whose aim in life is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. That's the way they live day by day with their focus on Christ's soon return. 
That's the only really way to live. Otherwise, we get caught up in all the garbage that this world has to offer. This world is a troubling place for the Christian. You remember we're told in 2 Peter 2 that Lot was tormented by all of the wickedness that he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. It says his, his righteous soul was tormented day and night. Well, hello, you live in Sodom and Gomorrah here in Southern California. <laughs> and I do too in Dallas. And so does somebody in Siberia and the whole planet. There's no escaping. It is there. We live in a wicked world, and of course our souls should be tormented by the wickedness we see. And that, of course, should heighten our desire, our groaning for these glorified bodies and our being present with the Lord and His coming kingdom. Now, the next slide, let's go to the next one here. This commentator, this isn't Tom. This is another Cruz. I can't remember what his first name is. And it's spelled differently, too. Notice this is... K-R-U-S-E. But this is a commentator on 2 Corinthians. I like what he says here uh, about the, this idea of the, the uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11. The word therefore in 2 Corinthians 5.11 indicates that what Paul is about to say follows on what he said in verse 10 about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is not afraid of the Lord, afraid in quotes, but he does have a reverential awe, in quotes, of him and recognizes that his whole life and his whole ministry will come under God's scrutiny. It is with this awareness that he persuades men. Now, commentators oftentimes say a lot of stuff that you can miss, but this is good. This is why I put the quote here. Paul persuaded men because he had reverential awe for the time when he stood before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you have that? Do you just live each day trying to mask out what's coming? Or do you live each day trying to focus day by day on the fact that Jesus is coming again soon and you will appear before him? And that because you love him so much, because he loves us so much, therefore we love him so much, therefore you long for his approval. That's your aim in life. Now, if you achieve that and you don't get the big job, you're a success in life. If you achieve that and you never get the Academy Award, you're a success in life. If you achieve that and you never really quite attain the financial status that you'd hope for, you're a success in life. On the other hand, if you get all the goodies this world has to offer and you don't get the approval of Jesus Christ, then your life has not been a successful one. Now, you still will live forever in the kingdom of God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and your life to come will be successful, but it won't be as full and as meaningful as it could have been and as it should have been because God has given us His Spirit that we might all be victorious Christians. And our focus is vital. We must focus on the judgment seat of Christ. Next slide. Eternal life is just the beginning. Notice lots of people hold up signs. They say the end is near. I like this guy because he says the beginning is near. The beginning is near. Believe in Jesus and you begin. Right? You can be talking to a 40-year-old person 
And if that person has not yet believed in Jesus, they've not even begun. They've, they've been dead for 40 years. They're, they're living dead. And when they believe in Jesus, they're now a baby Christian. That's what Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 3, babes in Christ. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they're a baby Christian. Now we need to train them up. And then we can become what Paul calls a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, a mature Christian, one who has the mind of Christ. But that's not an automatic. In order to get the mind of Christ, someone needs to persuade us, 2 Corinthians 5.11. Someone needs to take the fear of the Lord and use that to persuade others that the only sensible aim in life is to be well-pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us all natural abilities, spiritual gifts, talents, treasure, time, families. What do we do with what he's given us? Our aim should not only to be pleasing to him, but to be well-pleasing. In fact, if you look at the parable of the minas in Luke 19, you have ten servants each given one mina, and we look at three of them, and one of them goes from one to ten, and he hears, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful little rule over ten cities. The second guy comes and he went from one to five. He had the same potential, same opportunity, and he doesn't hear well done. He just hears you also be over five cities. Well, the second guy was pleasing to the Lord, but he wasn't well pleasing. The first guy, the one who went from one to ten, was well pleasing, and so he heard well done, good servant. That should be our aim in life, to please him, yes, to even be well pleasing to him to maximize our lives for Jesus Christ so that we can achieve the most we would achieve. Do you know that with Olympic athletes, they've, they've done a study, and almost 100% of them, if you could give them a pill that would cause them to win the gold medal, but they die within 10 years, they'd take it. They'd take it to get the gold medal because that's their aim in life. Their aim in life is to get that gold medal. And I've talked, I was recently in Minnesota talking to, two young men, one of which had a Ph.D. in chemistry, and he said almost all the highest-level athletes, especially in Olympic sports, are doing various illegal things uh, in order to get ahead, even if it's just blood doping where they take their own blood out and then just before the competition put the blood back in so they can take in more oxygen. And he said all kinds of things. They're doing these things regardless of what it does to their health. If these people are willing to destroy their lives to get a gold medal, how much are we willing to give of ourselves that we will have the Lord Jesus Christ well pleased with us? To me, that should be our aim in life. And when I watch sports, I'm thinking, I want the Lord Jesus to be pleased with me. He's my ultimate coach. He's the one that's going to judge me. He's the one that I live for. He's the one that I will die for. And that's what it's all about. So eternal life is just the beginning. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, Paul was in the persuasion business, and so should we all be. I hope you not only are evangelists, I hope you're also disciplers. When you lead your children to faith in Christ, I hope you're teaching them about the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. I spoke at an Awana banquet in Texas years ago, and I, there were kids between age three and age nine. And I talked to them about the Bema, and they got it. I had five-year-olds come up talk to me, and they were explaining it to me. And I was like, yeah, they got it. It's not complicated. Eternal life is free. Eternal rewards are earned. What's complicated about that? You believe in Jesus, you get the free gift. 
you are well-pleasing to him, you're going to hear well done, you're going to get reward. We're all in the persuasion business if we have eternal life. We're persuading the lost to believe in Jesus and get eternal life. We're persuading the saved to make their aim in life to be well-pleasing to him. Uh, I got a hat from a church in uh, Omaha that I spoke at one time, and it says, Think Bama on it. And it even has one of those little light things you push, you know, and it's got the thing, and you push it, and it lights up and says, Think Bama. (laughs) And I was at a church in North Carolina, and the pastor had a little sling, and he said, Live in light of eternity. Same idea. Are we caught up in the rat race? Or are we realizing that we're serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And in spite of what we see around us, we are people who are going to live forever in a perfect earth, uh, no sin on our planet, recreated all over again so that we can get rid of the taint of sin with glorified bodies, no pain, no suffering, no more sin. And we'll be serving Jesus forever. And how much we serve him depends on what we do with this life. Now, we don't have time to go into all the treasures, but I'll just highlight some of the rewards that people get. In my book, The Road to Reward, I discuss these. But one thing is ruling with Christ. If you persevere to the end of your Christian life and your confession of your faith in Christ, and by the way, just coming to church this morning, you're confessing Christ. You're making a public confession of the fact that you're a believer in Jesus Christ by coming to church, if indeed you are a believer. Uh, So those who persevere in their walk with Christ, they are going to rule with Christ to varying degrees, depending on how faithful they are. There's treasure. Uh, In uh, Matthew 5, 19-21, Jesus says that we're to lay up treasure in heaven, which can't be destroyed. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's also, if you like food, There's special food for the overcomers, for the Nike Christians. Uh, There's the hidden manna. Remember the what's this? The manna? It's coming back. And it's going to be like that Greek pastry. What's it called? You know, with the honey and the real soft layers and stuff. Baklava? Or is that the hat you wear? Uh, Okay, the baklava. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be probably like that. And it's going to taste good. It's going to enhance your life. There's also going to be the tree of life. And it's going to have a different fruit every month for all 12 months of the year forever. And you're in the fruit of the month club. (laughs) And you're going to love these fruits. They're going to be great. And I bet if one of them is pomegranates, you won't have to peel it either. You'll just say, be opened. And the thing will pop open and the seeds will pop in your mouth. And you're like, cool, this is great. Okay. And uh, there's also special clothes. If you're into clothes, you're going to get white garments. And they get to walk with Christ in white if we are overcomers, if we persevere. And I think of the Mount of Transfiguration where we're told in Matthew 17, his clothes glowed like no launderer could launder them. We're going to be like the moon reflecting his glory and how much depends on how faithful we are in this life. And we'll have a heightened ability to serve and glorify him. Let's go to the last one. Make your purpose to to, uh, please him so that you might serve him better forever. Now, The guy that got this slide for me, I'm not sure he understood what I wanted by the slide. He's got somebody serving, how many tennis balls is that? Seven tennis balls? And he's only hitting two and a half of them, you know. Uh, The point is, I think that, you know, accidentally he came up with a slide that illustrates what I'm talking about today because 
we need to be focused on what our aim in life is. If our aim in life is diffused and we're doing a little bit of everything, I'm trying to please this person, please that person, and if that conflicts with Jesus, well, I have to please this person and that person, and I've got to do this, and I've got this goal in life, and if that means I'm going to get a divorce, well, I've got to pursue my goal because that's just the way I've got to go, and you know, yada, yada, well, then I'm missing most of the balls I'm trying to hit. Instead, there should be one ball in the air, and that is, I want to be well-pleasing to him. I want to be well-pleasing to him in my marriage. I want to be well-pleasing to him in my work. I want to be well-pleasing to him when I drive, which is one of the big challenges in life, especially in Southern California, is it not? I want to be well-pleasing to him in taking care of my stewardship of my body. I want to be well-pleasing to him persuading others. I want to be well-pleasing to him in all aspects of life, in my church ministry, my giving, everything I want to be well-pleasing pleasing to him so we need to have as our aim in life to be well pleasing to him because if not then what we're going to find out is we're going to be caught up in the current that is our culture and it's a terribly sad postmodern culture where no one knows anything if you talk to postmoderns today they don't even know if they exist they don't know if god exists they don't know if anything exists it's a sad culture we live in today. We're swimming against the culture, but the beauty of it is we have the message of everlasting life. Both he who believes in me has everlasting life, and the one who sows through the Spirit, Galatians 6, 8, reaps a full experience of everlasting life. So my challenge to all of us is, Make your aim in life to be well-pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He could come back today. It easily could be sometime this year. If the Lord tarries and we die before the rapture, then may we be people who are living each day until we die in light of his soon return, in light of the Bema when we appear before him. Because although we have everlasting life and that's a done deal, the fullness of that life and whether we are well-pleasing to him depends on what we do with the rest of our lives. Let's go forward from here living lives that are well-pleasing to him and let's be persuading our children and people here at church and people we work with and everyone else that once they believe in Jesus for everlasting life, the only sensible way to live is to make your aim in life to be well-pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that eternal life is a free gift. We thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to remove the sin barrier so that simply by believing in him, we're eternally secure. And we thank you that we can have meaningful lives as we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to our soon-returning Lord and Savior and Judge. Oh, how we long to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, how we long for his approval. May you remind each one of us, not just this week, but for the rest of our lives, that Jesus is coming soon, and our aim is to be well-pleasing to him. For we pray in his matchless name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we go to the Lord's table, we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn number 323. It's hymn number 323 at the cross.
uh, we'll sing the first and the second verses, and uh, please stand. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. There was there by faith, I received my sight, and You may be seated. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for a really wonderful message. That's a challenge to all of us. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's certainly a challenge to all of us to uh, consider uh, much more than just eternal life when we think of our Christian lives. And uh, granted, our, our eternal salvation is of utmost importance, and it is something that we are eternally grateful for through Jesus Christ. But there is more than just fire insurance in our life. And as Bob well put it, uh, we need to seek to, and to go even further, to be well-pleasing to our Lord. And uh, I, I just want to encourage all of us, as we meditate on that message today, um, to consider our own lives and to consider uh, in what manner are we being pleasing to Him? And perhaps in what manner in our lives are we lacking? And uh, for those of you who are looking for uh, opportunities to be pleasing to the Lord, I would just encourage you to, to come and speak with me or speak with Dan uh, or even Bob, and perhaps we can uh, give you some guidance and some thoughts on that. I know in this church we, ha we still have a number of ministry opportunities that you can take part in from taking a a VBS donation uh, off the supply board to leading Bible studies to serving. Uh, there's just a number of opportunities. And if you today are saying, I want to be well-pleasing, then make the commitment and, and come to one of us and ask what can be done so that I can take my walk with Christ even that step further. At this time, we uh, are going to be participating in the Lord's Supper. And I wanted to read a, a couple portions of Scripture uh, related to this ordinance that we are participating in today. And I wanted to share some thoughts as we prepare our hearts for this. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper uh, as somewhat of a, 
a new twist to the Passover, which had historically been celebrated by Israel. And as he celebrated Passover, days before his death, he took the bread, and this time he did something different with it that had not been done historically with the Passover. He took the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, it says in Matthew 26. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He says, he goes on to say, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's two things occurring here in this institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus, on the one hand, brings out two glorious symbols, the bread and the cup, that would now, forevermore, be representations of His body and of His blood. In effect, Jesus was saying, look at my coming death to his disciples. Look at what I'm about to do. My body will be broken. My blood will be spilt so that you can have the pathway cleared to return to God in faith. As Bob so put it in Sunday school today, the, the, the road has been cleared. Sin has been propitiated for. And it is through the death of Christ that that has been done. Jesus says, look at the bread. Look at the cup. This is in honor of that event. But he goes on to talk about something in the future. Then he says, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He says, look back at my death. Remember its significance. And look forward to that opportunity in the life to come where you and I, those who are well-pleasing to the Lord, will have the opportunity to sit down and to break bread anew with Christ in the kingdom. Look back at his death. Look forward at the opportunity to eat with him again. And Paul says one more thing in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He, he speaks of when we do take these elements, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So not only is it a past event where we're looking back at his death, not only is it a future event where we are looking forward to eating with him again, but it's a present event. When you and I take this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming. The Greek word there has the notion of we are literally preaching it. We are sending it to the mountaintops that Christ has died and the pathway has been cleared for us to return to God by faith in Jesus. That is what this event that we celebrate once a month here at our church, but that, that's why we do this. We look back at his death. We look now and proclaim it for all the world to hear. And we look forward to eating with him again. Let's pray for the element of the bread. And I'll ask the ushers to pass them out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the momentous 
opportunity we have now to pause and to look back at the death of your son, Jesus Christ. We look back in honor of that sacrifice. We look back in commemoration of his broken body and spilt blood that was done for the remission of sins. Father, we also, as we are about to partake of this, we are preaching, Lord, as we partake of these elements, we are proclaiming to a lost and dying world and to those around us, Father, that indeed Christ has died and the pathway has been cleared for us to return to you in faith. And Father, we are looking forward. We're looking forward that through a life that is well-pleasing to you that we might have again the opportunity to eat and to break bread with Jesus Christ again in the kingdom to come. It's with this in our hearts that we partake of the bread just now. In Christ's name, amen. Let's eat the bread in remembrance of his death, in proclamation of his death.
and in anticipation of eating it again with him. Following the bread, Jesus took the cup in representation of his blood. And he said, drink this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. This is the new covenant of his blood. A new era has dawned. Through Christ's death, the pathway has been cleared. Let us drink in remembrance of that. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to participate in this Lord's Supper. 
We thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is ours to commemorate your death, the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood for the remission of sins. Lord, we also do this as a quiet and silent way of proclaiming your death, proclaiming that through your sacrifice, Lord, the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, we, through faith in Him, can now have eternal life. And Father, we look forward, as Bob challenged us today, we look forward to being well-pleasing to You, to being good ambassadors and representatives of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might again, in the future kingdom to come, sit down and break bread with Christ again. It's with this hope that we pray. In Christ's name, amen. At this time, we like to have a benevolent offering uh, taken up after the Lord's Supper. This is an offering we do about once a month, and it is designed to meet physical needs within our body and, and, and sometimes without. Uh, those that are in need of food, shelter, those that uh, are often lacking in uh, material goods. We like to help them out from this benevolent fund and all that is given to this particular fund goes to help those in need. I'll ask the ushers to come forward to take up that offering. All right, we're going to close with uh, Be Thou My Vision. It's hymn number 562. So if uh, you guys want to maybe turn to your hymnals and stand up, we're going to do uh, verses 1, 2, and 4. Be thou my vision, O 